And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're along for the ride. It's Wednesday, December 2nd, 2020. The big story at the Water Cooler. Well, it's all about Attorney General Bill Barr weighing in on all of this election fraud we've been hearing about. He says this, to date... He hasn't seen any evidence of widespread fraud that could overturn the election. Of course, the media leaves out the words to date seem important words to me. We're going to explore all of that. And Kaylee McEnany back at the White House podium. We're going to bring you some of her press briefing. Wait till you get a load of what she did today and some analysis also about how the media has been negligent in their jobs as journalists. And the president tweeting about vetoing the annual defense authorization bill if Congress doesn't get rid of the controversial Section 230 that lets big tech companies get away with a whole lot of stuff we're going to explore. And we delve into that issue and issues of election fraud with our first guest, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana. He joined us on the water cooler earlier today. Senator Braun, thanks for joining me here. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Well, let's start with the uh, voter fraud, the election fraud we're hearing so much about. But I say we're hearing so much about it. We're not hearing it at all when it comes to liberal media outlets. They, they just aren't going there. The CNNs of the world, uh, you've written about this. And I want you to talk a little bit about what you're, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. Just a moment ago, I uh, went into the lion's den, I guess, so to speak, at MSNBC and did talk about it. Uh, and I think most of mainstream media does not want to discuss it because it's uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, when you look at an election that had all the characteristics of this one, where voting procedures were so different due to the outlier of dealing with COVID, and to think that there wouldn't be some challenges naturally, uh, that there are no irregularities, that there are no issues of fraud, which there are some of that in probably every election. And I think that it's probably concentrated in certain areas more so. And to try to dismiss it and to think it would be the same, if not somewhat more, given the unique circumstances, to me is sticking your head in the sand. So when you do the simple stuff that was recommended by Jimmy Carter and James Baker just 15 years ago, when they had 80 recommendations about how you keep elections to where they've got integrity, uh, you need to pay attention to those, review it. And it was simple stuff like matching absentee ballot requests with the number of ballots that were actually submitted, matching up signatures, doing it in a way where you've got poll watchers present all the time. Mm -hmm. This is basic 101 stuff. Now, does this amount to a threshold of overturning an election? I think for every American, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you ought to hope the system is working. And this has had the ultimate test. And when you try to take it to where there's nothing there, I think you're just trying to get rid of it because it's uncomfortable. Well, and this is what you said in this op-ed being released today. Uh, and, and I want to read you exactly. Well, you wrote the words, but here, here for yeah. our viewers, you say this, the media have fundamentally failed the American people by refusing to investigate any question about the integrity of widespread mail-in voting in the 2020 election and by dismissing all concern over documented election irregularities as conspiracy theories. And, you know, my, my, my issue has always been with the media here is that they're always in search of the truth. Uh, and, and here they, they seem to be running away from any chance at finding the truth. And I think that's really been the key issue here. And they were so vigorous 
from the opposite point of view, from the moment President Trump got elected uh, through the Mueller report, through impeachment. Uh, and it was a completely different point of view. And if you remember uh, the Biden-Ukraine uh, connection, how that was dismissed as conspiracy theory. And uh, I think when you do that, uh, you're setting a double standard, especially when you've displayed how vigorous your pursuit is when it's of interest to you. When it comes to elections, uh, they're sacred. Uh, all Americans should feel that uh, when you cast a vote, it should be done legally and that it gets counted. And if there's any doubt of it, you should be doing just what the commission back 15 years ago uh, was about, is ferret it out, yeah. be honest, regardless from which side it might be coming from. Senator, what do you make of Attorney General Bill Barr's comments to the Associated Press saying that uh, to date they have not found any widespread voter fraud. I, I did think it was interesting, I must admit, that the media left out the part to date. Uh, they, they didn't say that part, uh, but, but I'm wondering what you make of Bill Barr's comments. You know, I think that uh, Leader McConnell came out with something maybe similar yesterday. Uh, I have been a proponent uh, that this should run its course through any threshold that you might have through the formal process and to date ignores the fact that the Electoral College does not meet until December 14th. And if you're gonna have any chance of having uh, the other side feel comfortable with some type of unified approach, uh, you need to let the process play out. I spent a lot of time trying to get support for these two Georgia Senate races. And before I could even get to the topic of the race, almost every phone call wanted to talk about what's going on with the election. Why aren't uh, we being more vocal about at least acknowledging that you need to have it play out, give the president every opportunity to ferret out any irregularity? It's a great question. Why would you be in a rush when it's got some formal thresholds anyway? And I think the president's entitled to try to uncover any item of it. And just because it hasn't hit pay dirt yet, uh, there's two weeks to go. And, and I guess a follow-up to that would be the, the, the Justice Department, FBI, I mean, who are, lots of different entities, they don't seem to have interviewed any of these plaintiffs, these witnesses, uh, any, any of that. That's what the Trump uh, legal team is contending. They say, wait a minute, this is a bit of a rush to judgment here. Does that sound familiar back through the whole impeachment process and the mm -hmm. origination uh, of the Russian probe and involvement? Uh, I think that uh, sadly, uh, there is, uh, you stake out your corners, you stick with them, and, and you lose that impartiality. Um, I think that that's going to, uh, and that's really was here before I got here. I went through a contentious election and the amount of distortion, negative advertising that comes into place. Uh, it's got, I think, a lot of things confused, but uh, the media, clearly stakes out a position and rather than reporting the news or being for bona fide investigations regardless of which side it's for or against mm -hmm. uh, there's partiality i have to ask you about state legislatures i mean this seems to be part of the path there's the court battles and then there's the the there's a sense that the trump team the trump campaign and donald trump himself want to see some bold legislators 
and bold legislatures stand up and do what could be or what is constitutionally required, which is for them to take a look at this. Do you, do you support efforts for state legislatures to look into this and, and, and how far should they potentially go here? They ought to be just as interested as anyone else needs to be to make sure that there's not more to uh, everything that occurred in a very unusual election in the sense of how it was different from almost any, any of us can remember. And when you have the process being so different from what we're used to, I think it's incumbent upon uh, all agencies that need to weigh in, including legislatures in the places where you know, all this pivots upon. And uh, we know that that's Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And uh, how do you think we're gonna feel going into the next round in the midterms? Uh, is there gonna be a feeling of confidence that things are gonna be run uh, completely above board in the two uh, runoff elections on January 5th? Yeah. And that should be an interest from both sides of the aisle to make sure everything is above board and that if you've got an issue, you investigate it thoroughly. Before we let you go, uh, you know, there's so much to talk about, but I did want to ask that uh, Donald Trump has been active on Twitter uh, as it relates to Section 230, uh, threatening a veto uh, if the National Defense Authorization Act doesn't uh, call or doesn't have a repeal of Section 230 in it. I want to get your reaction to that. Uh, is there any chance of, a, of uh, in essence, an override of that veto? Or what's your sense of what this president's saying on Section 230? You know, I think uh, the power of uh, big tech has come into focus and that's gotten the scrutiny from both the left and the right. Uh, and I think whenever you are in such an important spot where you control how information is uh, disseminated, you've got to uh, uh, not be protected uh, the way they were in their infancy by uh, no other sector of the economy has that protection where you can't be uh, taken to court and I think he's right there. I would, uh, if that's not included, I think he's uh, uh, justified in vetoing it. Uh, when it comes to the NDAA, uh, that's uh, something that uh, generally gets pretty complete support. I always have issues with it because it never has any budget concerns applied to it. So even though I think defense is the most important thing we do as a, in the federal government, Right. I don't like the fact that it's held sacrosanct from audits and budget controls. But if he does it, uh, I think most Americans are going to feel it's justified because big tech yeah. is a monopoly, an oligopoly minimally, where there just are a handful that control such an important part of our economy. Senator Mike Braun, great to have you back on the water cooler. Thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. That's Senator Mike Braun here on the water cooler, by the way, making some news there, uh, talking about how he supports the president vetoing the National Defense Authorization Bill if indeed uh, Section 230 is not repealed inside the bill. All right, when we come back, Nick Adams, the author of Trump and Churchill. <laughs> Democrats are going to go crazy when they hear Trump and Churchill in the same sentence. Back in a moment. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, lots to talk about with our next guest. Our next guest, I don't even know. The fact that he's in studio with us, oh, you're going to see him in a moment. Uh, he's traveling everywhere. The man Nick Adams, and he's got a, a book out uh, this year, this earlier this year, called There It Is, Trump and Churchill. Uh, and let me get the second title for you, Defenders of Western Civilization. You know Trump loved that book, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Uh, he's also the founder uh, right here of uh, Liberty and American Greatness. I wanted to get it right. Look, we got to be factual on the show, and Nick Adams uh, now joins us. Nick, great to see you, sir. David, it's always a pleasure. It's been a while. I'm glad that we were able to reconnect. It's been a while. And you're here. You're, you're live and in person. So. I am. I am. I'm in Washington, D.C. Not even COVID, not even the China virus, David, could get between you and me for an interview. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let me ask you a little bit about this election and what you have seen transpire as it relates to a lot of the fraud that's out there. But the media will just they're not going to they're not going to cover it. Pretty much they're not going to cover no. it. Tell, tell me a little bit Look, of your, your reaction. David, uh, on election night, like millions of Americans. I watched as the results came in and I was extraordinarily confident that Donald Trump was going to be re-elected for a second term. Mm. In fact, I was on television predicting just that at about 11.30 uh, central time. Mm. And uh, the next morning I woke up, just like millions of Americans, to discover that the very significant leads that the president had in several of the swing states had completely evaporated. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Joe Biden was ahead. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a head scratcher at the time. And as the last few weeks have unfolded, I have continued to scratch my head mm -hmm. because the anomalies within the election are so substantial. Now, David, I don't have any evidence to present you or your viewers, but when I look at this election as a whole, if you had said to me that Republicans were going to effectively hold the Senate, they were going to flip 14 seats, win 27 of the 27 must-win uh, congressional districts as outlined by the Cook Political Report, mm -hmm. that the president was going to win Ohio and Florida, and he would get 12 million more votes than he did in 2016. There is no way in the world I would have believed if you'd also said to me that despite all of that, mm -hmm. the president wouldn't be elected. And yet that's precisely what we're being asked to believe. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to show you something. You mentioned anomalies and we have a vote integrity um, statistical analysis, if you will. Uh, as a matter of fact, it says anomalies in vote counts and their effects on election 2020. Uh, and then it goes on to say this. Our analysis finds that a few key vote updates in competitive states were unusually large in size and had an unusually high Biden to Trump ratio. We demonstrate the results differ enough from expected results to be cause for concern. And then I want to put up some statistics if we can. Sure. Uh, these are from certain states. Michigan, for example. Look at this. 
in Michigan on November 4th, after that 11.30 p.m. live shot, 6.31 a.m. the next morning, Biden comes in with 141,000 votes, Trump with only 5,000 or so. Wisconsin, take a look at this. November 4th, once again, all overnight, 3.42 a.m., Biden 143,000 votes, Trump 25,000. And then Georgia, we look at that. 1.34 a.m., Biden 136,000, Trump 29,000. All in the middle of the night, Nick. Something. Look, that, listen. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but so, I'm sorry. Something smells fishy. Yeah. Well, as they say in Australia, it doesn't pass the pub test. <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't. You know, it's it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And to to be told that Joe Biden received 15 million more votes than President Obama in 2008, and 12 million more than mm-hmm. uh, Hillary Clinton. Um, from then, his basement. From and his and basement. then you think about the kind of campaign that he ran, the most unenthusiastic, unengaging. They would call a lid at 10 o'clock in the morning after just one event. And we're expected to believe that a politician that had been there for 47 years mm-hmm. is capable of yielding such a passionate turnout. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. And 18 of the 19 bellwether counties, David, in other words, counties that in the last hundred years have always voted the same way as the as the president overall or as the person that wins the presidency overall. Donald Trump won 18 of those 19 counties and yet apparently still lost. Now I've watched these hearings in Pennsylvania and in Arizona and exactly what you just showed up on the screen has been testified to. Mm-hmm. That there were these mass votes that came in and an extraordinarily small number for Donald Trump mm-hmm. and a massive number for Joe Biden. Yeah, and there's been no explanation, really, no. of it all. And I was just about to say, that to me, David, is the most incredible thing of all. I would have thought it would be in the interests of Democrats if this truly was a fair election mm-hmm. to take the allegations of the Trump campaign mm-hmm. And at least try and offer an explanation. Try and posit a theory on them. Mm-hmm. Say, okay, Donald Trump and his campaign say this. This is why this is plausible. Mm-hmm. But the silence is deafening. All yeah. they do is ask us to unite after four years of complete and total disunity. Why would we unite with people that hate us? Why would we unite with people that don't love our country? Why would we unite with people that don't want to follow the law? Yeah, and everything you just said there, where you were talking about questioning the integrity of this election, uh, the the, the liberal media will call you a conspiracy theorist. That's what they'll say. Yeah, listen, I'm no conspiracist, David, but I also don't really believe in coincidence. Mm -hmm. And when you have have 150,000 votes coming in and 143,000 of them are for Joe Biden (laughs) and 7,000 of them are for Donald Trump... Mm -hmm. That, that just doesn't, that's just not right. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't have any evidence, and Democrats might say, well, you know, we, the vote is the vote, and mm-hmm. we concentrated on mail-in ballots, and Trump supporters came in on the day, but that still is so statistically improbable, mm-hmm. so incredibly unlikely, and as the son of a mathematician, <laughs> uh, I can tell you that that these numbers just don't make sense. Yeah, I, we have less than a minute left in this segment. We're going to hold you around for a second one. But real quick, tell us about your, your organization. It's doing important work around the country. Absolutely. The Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness, David, otherwise known as FLAG, mm. is a 501c3 educational nonprofit dedicated to two very simple things. Number one, teaching civics, and number two, putting patriotism 
back in public schools. Mm. And we do it three ways, through classroom visits, through the creation and distribution of kid-friendly resources mm. relating to the founding documents, and through professional development training for teachers, where we teach teachers how to teach civics the way that it was taught to a young David Brody. Uh, young David Brody. Well, that was many, many moons ago, <laughs> <laughs> Nick. All right, stick with us. We want to talk about COVID and all these uh, crazy restrictions going on, all right? All right, uh, when we come back, more with Nick Adams. And also, he's going to talk to us a little bit about his interactions with President Trump uh, and some of the books that he's written about it. Back in a moment. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back on the water cooler. And look, uh, Nick Adams uh, joins us again. Uh, Nick was just in the last segment. That's kind of cool how we do this on television. I love it. <laughs> hey, uh, let's talk about your book, Trump and Churchill. Uh, a, a big a big deal. Uh, President Trump clearly loved it. Tell me a little bit more. David, one of the biggest Trump books of 2020. I'm yep. really, really proud of it. It's got a forward by Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House. And it's a comparison of the two men. And, you know, on the surface, when you look at both of them, you might not really think that they have that much in common. Mm. One's six foot three and the other one five foot six. Mm. One was a tea, one is a teetotaler, one loved having a drink. Mm. But as soon as you start to drill down a little bit more, you find that the two men are actually remarkably similar. And so mm. I really enjoyed writing that book. And, and yes, uh, you're quite right. Uh, President Trump continued his tradition of, of tweeting about my books. It mm -hmm. began just four weeks into his term in March of 2017 mm -hmm. when he took to Twitter to declare my book Green Card Warrior a must read. Mm -hmm. And then six months later, he tweeted about my previous book, Retaking America, mm -hmm. Crushing Political Correctness. And then this year it was Trump and Churchill. Uh, and that yielded no less than seven different tweets so um, suffice to say the president enjoyed the comparison and, and you are his are you are you not his favorite author uh, david it, it has been said yes uh, <laughs> several several news publications have declared me the president's favorite author i don't think there's any other author in the world that's had three separate books endorsed by a president so i'm very honored yeah. i'm very privileged and can i say i mean to be that to any president is incredible, mm -hmm. but to be it to the greatest president this country's ever seen mm -hmm. is, is truly something to behold. Tell us about that conversation you had with the president, uh, I guess, what, about six months ago or, or so? Uh, yes, so I was in uh, California uh, finding my way to a speaking engagement. I was on an interstate and uh, the phone rang. And uh, I'd had some heads up about it that there, mm -hmm. was, there was going to be a call, but no one knew when, of course. You don't know when the president feels like ringing right. you. So you've kind of got to be on call. And I was told that if it's a 202 number or a private number, make sure you answer. Yeah. And so sure enough, 202 number came up. I answered the phone. And Mr. Adams, I said, yes, this is the White House calling. And I said, OK, I have the president waiting for you. Mm. And I kind of just stammered my way through. I said, uh, uh, OK, <laughs> great. Anyway, then there was about a six or seven second 
you know, delay, and then there was a click, so I knew that we were connected, and, um, and then the voice came back on and said, Mr. Adams, the President of the United States. Oh, wow. Mm. Now, you know, if I wasn't, if I wasn't nervous, right. I got nervous then. <laughs> on the interstate. And then, of course, the President came on and, hello, Nick, how you doing? How's my author going? And, and uh, we had a wonderful conversation. I think it went for seven minutes and 52 seconds. Not that, Not you that were I was counting. <laughs> Uh, and we discussed a whole range of different things, and mm -hmm. such a such a great man, mm -hmm. such a helpful man, uh, loyal, patriotic, and um, again, David, uh, he's done such incredible things for the world, for this mm -hmm. country, for me personally, and uh, I'll forever be grateful to him. Very nice. Uh, I want to ask you about COVID and all these restrictions going on. Uh, let's take a look, for example, in Ohio. Uh, Mike DeWine, as a matter of fact, uh, is under some, uh, under the gun, if you will. Not there. my favorite governor. No, clearly not. And I <laughs> want you to talk about that. Articles of impeachment actually filed against uh, DeWine over these coronavirus orders. Uh, even Gretchen Whitmer uh, in, in uh, uh, where is she, Michigan? That's right. Michigan County Board approves resolution urging Governor Whitmer's impeachment as well. What do you make of what's happening now? Look, a lot of these governors are out of control, David. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Uh, obviously, we are in the midst of a pandemic and uh, people should be taking common sense precautions. As somebody that loves the Constitution, I believe really we should be allowing people to make up their own minds about exactly how they want to react to this pandemic. Uh, I don't like wearing a mask. I, I wear a mask when I think I'm benefiting others mm -hmm. um, or could be benefiting others uh, but I think that these governors whether it's King Newsom over there in California uh, whether it is Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan whether it's uh, Mike DeWine in Ohio uh, these guys are acting like little tyrants mm. and um, it's it's sad to see it happening in the United States of America uh, what I particularly don't like is the hypocrisy um, we saw that whether it's Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done or Dianne Feinstein walking through a, a place at the airport or Gavin Newsom out at a dinner. There's all these rules for these guys, but when it comes to you and me, mm -hmm. we're told we can't have Thanksgiving, we're told we can't have Christmas. And um, I don't like the hypocrisy. I don't like one rule for me and one for thee. Mm. And that seems to be what we're getting from these governors. Where do you think this is heading? I mean, I, I, you get a sense that, you know, Americans are getting to the point of enough is enough. And you wonder if, if, if something, these governors haven't overstepped their bounds. We know they've overstepped their bounds, but if there's not like this uh, revolution on the horizon. Here. Look, David, I, I certainly think that uh, the more time that this goes on, the more likely that's going to be. Mm. I'm hoping that... Uh, by this time next year, COVID will be ancient history, mm -hmm. uh, but obviously it's a political football and it's in, it's in the interests of a lot of these people to perpetuate this particular uh, pandemic. And uh, the longer that that happens, the more trouble we're going to have. I hope legal action is successful. Mm -hmm. And I hope that these governors do get put in their place. When, when you say best interest, you're talking financial, powerful, uh, power? What, what are you referring to? Look, a to? little bit of everything. I think uh, mm -hmm. this really plays into how Democrats, uh, they're, they're all about power. Mm -hmm. The principle has been abandoned. And uh, this gives a great excuse for mail-in ballots. This is a great excuse to, to minimize Christmas, mm -hmm. something that they don't like with 
they don't like very much to begin with. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that, um, that this gives them an excuse. This gives a, them a perfect foil to do things. Uh, and um, I'm hoping the sooner that we can be away from it. You know, David, I came to America for activity. I came to America for the energy. And again, I understand that a, a pandemic is going to affect those things, but but let's let's limit to how much they affect us. Mm -hmm. As soon as we possibly can, let's get back into it. Let's be America. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my that's my take. Well, we'll have to have you back on the show, but in about twenty seconds or so. Well, actually, we have about thirty seconds. But I know you were you're going to be a citizen in in a, in a year, about a year, a little, little less than a year. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, I'll be eligible in July twenty on on July 29, 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can't wait to become a citizen, David. For those that want to follow me, please nickadamsusa.com. Mm -hmm. That's where you can get signed and personalized copies of all of my books, mm -hmm. flags, resources, and follow my journey. nickadamsusa.com. And of course, follow yep. me on Facebook and all the rest. Nick Adams, appreciate it. Back in a CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. I don't know if you've heard, but the Constitution is under attack. And that is not fake news. That's real stuff going on all across America. Uh, all we have to do is check in, as we've done in this show before, with King Cuomo and King Newsom and Queen Whitmer and all the folks around the country. Let's bring in Rick Green, uh, America's Constitution coach. We've had him on the show uh, quite often, and his voice needed quite a bit right now in these troubled times. Hey, Rick, great to see you, sir. Babe, good to be right back with you, man. Appreciate you having me. More importantly, impressive jacket. Thanks for dressing up for the show and classing the place up. Only for you. Only for you. <laughs> oh, well, for your audience. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Oh, oh, that's right, the audience. I forgot about the audience. Just kidding. Uh, all right, so the state legislatures, I mean, it seems to me with the Trump legal strategy here, it seems to be, okay, we're going to look at the courts here, but... What they really want is some bold legislators to stand up and, and do something here. And I'm just not sure if they can get there because it's going to take some yeah. bold legislators to actually break through here. Yeah, I, sh I share your concern. I mean, this is this is, uh, you know, plan A. I would say there's three major inflection points here where Trump could still win. And this is plan A. It's where the legislators are. It's an Article Two, Section one power. Uh, they can choose the electors themselves. And that could happen in Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, uh, Michigan and Arizona. But like you said, I mean, the question is, do these legislators have enough backbone to do that? I mean, this is going to take some very bold legislators. When we were starting to talk about this a few weeks ago, Mark Levin, Daniel Horowitz, myself, uh, most people scoffed, said that would never happen. But now you at least have dozens of legislators, for instance, in Pennsylvania, that not only had hearings, but actually drafted the resolution to do exactly what we've been talking about. Uh, this is authorized by the Constitution. The Supreme Court has said that this is authorized by the Constitution in past decisions. But, you know, look, these are self-protecting politicians. I think Giuliani said it right. You guys have be, got to be willing uh, to lose your next election to save the Constitution if that's what it takes. And there's some like that. Mark Fincham in Arizona, I think he was extremely bold in the Arizona uh, hearings the other day. But I don't know that enough states will have the guts to do this. But again, that's only plan A. 
You've still got the Supreme Court if they do their job and protect the Constitution. And you've also got January 6th Congress could do its job and uphold the Constitution. That's a really interesting process that takes place when there's objections from uh, at least one House member and one Senate member and how that whole process works. But there's still a couple of options here, but they're starting to shrink. Well, let's get into that January 6th option for a second, because yep. Mo Brooks, uh, congressman, has come out and said uh, that, that he's going to raise an official complaint uh, on January 6th, a congressman there. And then it what, takes one senator. How does that work exactly? I mean, that, that's uncharted territory. or may, I don't know if it's uncharted territory. It sounds like it would be. It's not uncharted. They, they had some of this happen in, uh, in 1872, after the 1872 election, also in, in, uh, in 1888. But they do have a federal law. Now, the Constitution does not speak to how that process plays out in terms of objections and how they vote and what it takes to refuse a slate of electors. There's precedent for that that goes all the way back to you know, 1820 and 1824. But the, there's a federal law they passed after the 1876 election that was total chaos. So they passed a federal law that's supposed to clear this up, but it is the most confusing statute you've ever read. And, and people from all sides, all kinds of scholars say the same thing. I can tell you what the basic interpretation is, that if you have a House member and a Senate member that both object during that January 6th joint session, then they have to actually break up into House and Senate and decide on their own. House decides if they want to not allow those electors from that particular state, Senate decides then they come back together. The, the, the current interpretation of that statute that is disputed is that both chambers would have to say no to a slate of electors for them to be refused. So we all you know, can quickly surmise that the Senate probably says no to some of these states, but the House would rubber stamp them uh, for Biden. And so I think that could potentially be a Supreme Court question. Uh, can one body actually reject those electors? And then what do you so do if there's two slates of electors? from one state. That's happened before as well. All right. So, Rick, uh, yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. So let me just understand what you're what you're saying here specifically. If there is a House member, it, all it takes is what one House member and one senator to object. And then all of a sudden the House and Senate would then have to vote on these electors. That's right. They would recess into separate bodies and they would debate whether or not that objection, you know, carries any water. And then uh, that chamber would come back to together with the other chamber and report on what they decided. And it actually stops everything. I think January 6th, we're probably going to look a little bit more like English Parliament with a whole lot of screaming and yelling <laughs> than we do our normal Congress on, uh, on C-SPAN. But we'll see how that goes. I think there'll be objections to multiple states. I mean, the fraud, you know, you, had, you, had, you have had plenty of testimony on this. The fraud is overwhelming in several of these states. And so I think if Congress doesn't object, if some of these members of, of Congress don't object, then they're not doing their job. Uh, whether or not they have enough of an, an objection to get the House to reject a slate of electors, that's that's a that's a tough hurdle. But we still don't even know what the makeup of the House is going to be. I mean, we're still we've still got three or four of these House races undecided, and so far every single one of them have gone to the Republicans. So it's going to be a thin margin for the Democrats on the House side, a thin yeah. margin for the Senate uh, for the Republicans on the Senate side. It's going to be really interesting on January 6th. But just so I understand, also, to take this a step further, let's say uh, it does go to the House and the Senate, and the House comes back with the Biden electors and the, Tr and the Senate comes back with the Trump electors, th then, then the, uh, what is it called, the Electoral uh, Voting Act or the Electoral Count Act? I'm not quite sure what the name of that 1876 law is, but that, that yeah. is, it is very ambiguous as to what happens at that point, right? It is. It's a poorly written statute. And like I said, different scholars say different things. What 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 most say at this point is that 
a slate of electors would have to be accepted unless both chambers objected to it. I'm not sure that would actually hold up because of the confusion and the and the discussion. And so I think you could end up with a Supreme Court decision on who has the authority to reject electors at this point. So I think there's a lot of undecided things here, but there are definitely, um, I guess I should say there is power in the hands of the state legislatures. They could prevent all of this confusion. Right. If they would do their job right now. That part is unquestionable, but they've got to have the political will to do it. And same thing with the Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court upholds the Constitution, that's, you know, plan A is state legislators. Mm -hmm. Plan B is the Supreme Court does their job. And I think if they do their job right, they have to toss Pennsylvania, more than likely have to toss Georgia. And with what's coming out in Michigan and Wisconsin right now, I mean, and Arizona. And well, now Nevada, they're talking 40,000 potential people that voted twice. I mean, the Supreme Court does their job. Then you you toss those electors. And that's going to mean nobody gets to 270. Nobody wow. gets to 270. It goes to the House. And it'll be state delegations in the House deciding, and wow. that's a Republican outcome for Trump. Rick, we've got to have you back on. We got this is great, fascinating stuff. Hey, less than ten seconds. Where can people get more information about what you're talking about here? I feel like I just made it as clear as mud. So if you want to clear up the mud a little bit, go to ConstitutionCoach.com and take one of our courses where we dive a little deeper into all these things. You're fantastic. All right, no, you're clear in the mud. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right, uh, Rick Green, we'll have him back on the uh, show next uh, week. Back in a moment. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. I tell you what, I'm going to miss these Kaylee McEnany briefings. They are WWE SmackDown events. Uh, I enjoy them. Uh, there was another one today. She just doesn't mess around. I, like, if I had an imaginary mic, it's like, boom, drop mic, I'm out. I'm Kaylee McEnany. Deal with it. She had another one of those today, but here's how she began the briefing, talking about Democrats and the media and how they're hypocrites when it comes to COVID-19. Have a look. Behind me, you will see displayed images of Democrat hypocrisy playing on loop. These images depict the following. They show Governor Gavin Newsom of California dining both maskless and indoors at the fancy French laundry restaurant despite severe lockdown restrictions against indoor dining for the very people he governs. You'll see Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot celebrating in the non-socially distant streets of her city. You will see Speaker Nancy Pelosi indoors at a hair salon in San Francisco when salons in California were only open for outdoor services. And you will see CNN's Chris Cuomo staging his emergence from quarantine in a made-for-television moment coming out of the basement. And this was after uh, Cuomo was spotted breaking his brother, Governor Cuomo's, quarantine rules to go for a bike ride in the Hamptons. Also notable is San Francisco Mayor London Breed, who followed Governor Newsom's lead in dining at the French Laundry with a group of eight people. 
And finally, Los Angeles County Supervisor Sheila Kuehl dining outdoors at her favorite Santa Monica restaurant after voting to ban outdoor dining at 31,000 restaurants throughout LA, calling outdoor dining a most dangerous situation. Quite clearly, these Democrats do not follow their own edicts. Uh, they act in a way that their own citizens are barred from acting. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Why am I laughing? Here's why I'm laughing. Because you know what? Let's be honest. The media has it coming. I mean, it's hypocrisy. And yeah, I know the media doesn't want to think that they're engaging in any of this, media and the politicians and the Democrats, but they are. And America's onto it. So, you know, I, I didn't see a cutaway of, of the front row or, or anybody, any of those journalists. They were probably looking like this, just, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know inside they were like this. You know they were doing that. Uh, they're sick and tired of Kaylee McEnany doing all of that. But you know what? She is legendary when it comes to the conservative orbit, if you will. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders before her. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know, it's pretty impressive. All right. We're back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water pool, everybody. It is the end of the show. But it's really the best part of the show. I can confirm it. Well, let's see who can confirm. I know who can confirm. The Sophie Mann. <laughs> With just, why are you looking at me like that? I know that? you say that to all your guests, David. <laughs> Madison, do I say that to... Well, I watch no, the show. No, Madison says Sophie is special. Okay, thank just, you. Just, you. Thank know. you, Madison. Right. Sophie Mann from JustTheNews.com, <laughs> by the way. Thank you, Madison. I heard yes. that. All right, so what are you working on? Because you're always working. Don't think well, that the wrong well, way. Well, I mean, so I say. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you got going? Well, so today we have this story. It yeah. broke yesterday at about uh, exactly this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the Amistad Project, which is affiliated with the Thomas More Society, mm-hmm. held a press conference in Virginia about um, a slew of new pieces of evidence that have unfolded um, in the past couple of weeks. It was sort of a, a wrap-up slash like an introduction of new pieces of evidence about um, USPS workers who were testifying about weird voter uh, like balloting activities that mm-hmm. they had interacted with and experienced. Um, one of them said that he was transporting 288,000 ballots from um, upstate New York to Pennsylvania, and the truck that he was driving, the like the the part of the truck that had the ballots in it mm-hmm. went missing at the USPS facility. Um, hmm. Most of those ballots, I, I, there's no way to tell who they would be from, but or who they would be voting for, rather. Right. But um, as we know, Pennsylvania obviously was incredibly close. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Biden won by fewer than 80,000 votes. So 288,000 lost ballots is a significant number in I that regard. Do the math. I can do yeah, the math. <laughs> <laughs> just some, some basic subtraction there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like in a number of other um, incidents like that, one. Um, one witness who testified last week in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. uh, talked about how he believed 47 gigabytes or, uh, sorry, flash drives um, full of votes were not counted and actually have been lost since then. So they're right. they're approaching it. It seems that they're approaching, as we've seen with some of these hearings that have taken place the, the last couple of days with Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, mm-hmm. they're approaching it from two different fronts. The physical front, the testimonial front of people saying, here's what I experienced, here's what I saw, here are mm-hmm. the ballots that at one point I had in my hand and the next minute they disappeared. Mm-hmm. And then the technical front, the data presentation, which is uh, subject matter experts basically come in and say, 
<laughs> here's what we witness, what not everybody would necessarily understand, but we're going to try to break it down for you. And mm -hmm. that has a little bit more to do with missing, as I said, USB drives, um, the Dominion voting systems machines mm -hmm. debacle, consistently ongoing stuff like that. Wow. Um, yeah, and so they can, they're, they're trying to, so yesterday's presentation was that in conjunction with how the USPS was affected by all of that. And I'm sure that we will continue to see sort of a slew of evidence flood out of there this week. Very interesting, Sophia. A lot to unpack there for yeah. sure. Phil Klein, by the way, who's part of the Amistad Project, yeah. obviously, will be uh, on our show tomorrow. What a transition to say goodbye. See you tomorrow.